Welcome to Preaching and Preachers, a weekly podcast devoted to those who preach and to the task of preaching itself. I'm your host, Jason Allen, president of Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. Today, I want to welcome Dr. Phil Newton to the podcast. Dr. Newton serves as co-pastor at Southwoods Baptist Church in Memphis, Tennessee. He's also an accomplished author and has recently published his new book entitled 40 Questions About Pastoral Ministry. Uh, Dr. Newton, welcome to Preaching and Preachers. Thank you so much, Dr. Allen. I'm glad to be with you. Yeah, it's good to talk today and even catch up a few moments before we begin on the podcast. And as I reflected a minute ago, I first met you as a college student. You are filling in, mm-hmm. teaching my Sunday school class uh, when I was in the college ministry there and met you through some mutual friends and uh, have been able to keep up at least a little bit over the years and appreciated your ministry from a distance. And then uh, when I get to interact with you personally every few years, it's always warmth and encouraging. And so thankful for for your faithfulness over the years and uh, to be able to record with you today and to build a conversation on your recent book, uh, 40 Questions About Pastoral Ministry. So before we get into that, uh, give us a word of update on your ministry there at the church, your family. And I know many of our listeners um, are, are know you, are aware of you, and, and they may be at least somewhat familiar with your your your, your cancer diagnosis and, and battle the past several years. I'm sure they'd appreciate hearing a word of update on that front as well. Well, thank you so much. And it's always a joy to be with you. And I have counted it a delight to watch how the Lord has worked in your life and you and Karen and your your family and your ministry over the years. And I'm I'm so deeply encouraged by what's going on at Midwestern Seminary. Uh, I am um, in my 30, well, just, just about to finish up my 34th year at Southwoods, a church I had the opportunity of planning in Memphis. Um, before church planning was very cool. Uh, but it, it has been quite an interesting time and a joyous time. Uh, in the summer of 2018, I got diagnosed with mantle cell lymphoma, which is a non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And it's a, it's a rare type cancer and, and a, a, not a good diagnosis to get. But God has been so gracious, and I am uh, currently in remission. And I go back every six months to MD Anderson in Houston, and they were wonderful and have uh, served me well, and the Lord has been gracious. And so uh, Karen and I uh, have uh, added that new dimension of working through uh, uh, cancer uh, as as part of our lives. But, uh, you know, we just press on and keep persevering. I, I'm enjoying, I'm really enjoying pastoring in in the work of ministry as much as ever. And I mean, I, I can say that with all honesty. Well, praise God for that encouraging word, both on your medical front and the um, persistent joy you have in serving the local church there. Well, thank you. Uh, now, now you mentioned to me, and I'm sure, again, our listeners would be would be curious uh, that that your cancer diagnosis and kind of the, the downtime you had around that, that the need to be isolated given, I guess, uh, challenges with your, your immune system, uh, really prompted both the space to write the book and, and I guess the desire for the book. Is that right? Uh, yes. Uh, I had four months where I couldn't be around people. So I was stuck in my house, couldn't go to church, couldn't go to the office, couldn't do any of my normal things. So uh, I had some very heavy chemo during that time. And I'd, I'd be in Houston for usually about a week at a time um, with chemo going pretty much 24-7 for five or six days at a time. I'd come back, have chemo brain for a few days. Uh, once I got past that, I'm going to go up to my study at home and uh, my a couple of my 
fellow pastors brought books from my study. And so I, I had uh, probably 150 books that I brought from my study at church uh, to my house. And I just started writing. And uh, Kriegel was gracious enough. And uh, Dr. Ben Merkel, who edits the 40 Question series, was uh, was very warm about me doing this uh, th- this book. So that's that's what I did. And it was a respite for me. I, I think I would have gone nuts otherwise. Um, but I felt like I was able to use four months. So it was a it was a rather odd sabbatical, not the kind I recommend anyone volunteering for. Uh, but the, the Lord used it in my life, it ministered to my soul. And I've had opportunity through the years to be ministered to by some wonderful pastors. And I wanted to try to give back. So that was the, uh, this book is the fruit of that time. So as you've alluded to, you are, have been at your current church approximately 34 years in pastoral ministry now, over 40. You've experienced a lot. You, you've learned a lot. You've had to sort out a lot by way of matters of doctrine, uh, ch- local church challenges, you know, acute pastoral ministry crises, and, and a whole host of issues. And and much of that is distilled within uh, the context of this book. And so before we, we get into some of these specific questions, which I do want to kind of pull out from the 40 questions and tee you up to speak to a few items that I know would be okay. a particular concern and interest to our listeners, I, I guess before we get to that level, just still at the macro level, um, even as you were writing for four months and decades of ministry behind you and, and, and ministerial training and so forth, um, I guess, what did you find out about yourself or what did you find out about local church pastoral ministry, even a part of this entire experiment? You have the, uh, the clarifying reality of the cancer diagnoses. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have these, this, these uh, substantial seasons, uh, uh, pockets of time, four months to, to reflect and write. You're limited by, can't be around people. And so it just seems to me that, that those unique factors probably not only enabled, but, but really necessitated some real reflection on your life and ministry. And so I guess, again, at the bigger picture, the macro level, even before getting into the details of the book, like, what did you sense? What did you, what did you learn? What did you rediscover? Yeah, that's, that's such a, uh, a wonderful question. One, uh, and I'll, I'll mention two or three things. One, one thing uh, you know, I was at a point of weakness because I, I've always had a lot of energy and I could just keep going and going. And suddenly I couldn't. And my energy level was was horrible. So I just had to sit pretty much all day. Uh, it was an effort literally to walk down my street and walk back up. So I, I realized more and more of my weakness, which was such a good reminder uh, that I am a weak person in need of a strong and mighty Savior. And my reflections on that just deepened as I as I wrote on this book and as I meditated on on pastoral ministry. So that that was one thing I, I was I was more acutely aware of my weakness, and I'm still acutely aware of my weakness. And I'm I would say that, and I would feel that kind of like as Spurgeon, you know, going up the steps to preach. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Uh, I'm, I knew those things, but I experienced it at a level I'd never experienced it before. And so when I came back to preach after being out for four months and I've been meditating on on the text uh, that I preached on from Luke 15 for several months and memorized it and just, just feeding on it. And so 
I, I came back and preached three sermons in a row on the prodigal son. And I was just, I was overwhelmed. And I think my congregation was to some degree because they live with me in this experience. And it also taught me more about the connection with the body of Christ and how much we need each other. Because as I suffered, my congregation was suffering with me. And when I got a good, uh, a good word from my doctor, they rejoiced. I think they rejoiced more than I did. I mean, ser- seriously, it was the that sense of empathy and feeling with one another that you read about in those one another passages in the New Testament. And then one other thing, I, w- I was sitting w- one night with, with my wife. My wife's name's Karen, just like yours. And, and I, I was sitting sitting with her one night, and I just started weeping. and uncontrollably and she thought what in the world is is happening to you and i could not stop and i had um i had been in a phone conversation that day with an older man in our church who since has gone on to glory and just just trying to encourage him and pray for him and and uh, d- do what i could to uh, try to help him because he was going through a really difficult time and and I told her that that once I finally got my got my thoughts together and and could talk, I said I finally realized that all these years when I've gone to see people in the hospital or I've gone to their home when they've gone through a crisis or they're they're in my study and they're they're agonizing that I've been helping people uh, prepare to stand before the Lord and to to live life with the consciousness that the Lord is present. And I said, it, it just hit me. I, I realized that's what I've spent my life doing. And now others are helping me go through that. And, and it was a, it, it, I mean, this is something I do all the time, but I needed to see it on my end because I think sometimes as pastors, we can think we've got all the answers and we, we got everything under control, but we need the ministry of the body of Christ just like the members of the body do. And it was, it was just, it was an overwhelming thing for me to, to sense that. And so when I, when I go see someone, of course, COVID has kind of fouled things up on that. But when I go see someone or I talk to them and they're going through great difficulty, then I, you know, part of what I want to do is help them to live, not just in the now, but, but to live in the reality of the not yet and, and to be so conscious of it and let that help them in their endurance uh, in the faith. Wow. Uh, How movingly put. Thank you for that. And again, there's something, no doubt, about the crucible of what you've been through that just gives added weight and uh, added integrity and uh, meaningfulness to, to your words there. So we're thinking about you know, questions about pastoral ministry. And I, boy, I wish we could go through all 40. Uh, obviously, time doesn't permit that, but we'll be able to uh, engage a couple here. And you've already kind of alluded to one, but I want to come back to it and uh, and take us from your personal context, especially the past several years, to a more a broader question about a, a broader reality. And that is this, do pastors need pastoring? Now, is your Reflecting on that before I, I give you space to answer, you know, we've seen a, a rash of, of disappointments the past couple of years, yeah. uh, and, and indeed a rash of tragedies. Uh, ministers 
flaming out in ministry morally sometimes, ministries, ministers fizzling out due to burnout, what have you. We've even seen the tragedy of some ministers very publicly uh, taking their own life. And then we've seen through the COVID-19 milieu of the past year of, of many pastors just, just in very, very challenging situations and perhaps questioning and indeed are questioning many uh, whether or not to press on. And much of this, no doubt, goes back to um, who invests in pastors, who's speaking into their lives, yep. who is encouraging them. So, so tell us what we need to know on that front. Okay. Well, I think if we'll read the pastoral epistles, we'll see one, even though he was an apostle, he had this flaming pastoral heart. We'll see one pastor ministering to a couple of other pastors and those who pastored with them, their fellow elders. And as as we think about what Paul taught Timothy and Titus, we, we, we think about how uh, he kept bringing them back and back to the gospel. This is one of the things in studying the pastorals that has just gripped me, that here is Paul who has taught both of these men they're well-grounded. They're good, solid, faithful pastors. We would say they had the best kind of theological education that you could get. And yet, what does he do? He writes to them, and you look at the content of what he writes, and it's woven with the gospel. He, he just keeps bringing them back and back. You know, he, he tells Timothy, um, you know, I'm writing, so you'll... Uh, know how to conduct yourself in in the household of God, the church of the living God, the pillar and the support of the truth. And then he breaks out into this confessional statement concerning Jesus Christ. And then you think about the meaty gospel declarations in uh, in the book of Titus in chapter one, chapter two, and chapter three. They're just they're woven within. So that's one thing pastors need to be reminded about living in the gospel, not just proclaiming it, but living in the effectiveness of it, living in the promises of it. And sometime, I think we become so wrapped up in our ministry and so so busy that we, uh, we, we are uh, producing, you know, we're, we're writing things and we're preaching sermons and we're teaching lessons and we're counseling, but how about our own soul? Are, are we being stirred on the gospel? Are our fellow pastors, in, and I would say in, in our church's context, uh, are my fellow elders sharpening me with regard to the gospel? And I sh- am I sharpening them in that regard? Um, another thing, think about how Paul encouraged Timothy and Titus to live, a, live holy lives and to fight sin. And, you know, in speech, conduct, love, faith, purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. Pay close attention to yourself and your teaching. Do we do those kinds of things with each other? And, and I think if Paul had to do that with someone that lived with him day in and day out, then we need that in our context. I mean, uh, um, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life which you are called. Uh, you know, be a diligent student of the word. Uh, you know, all of those kinds of exhortations that we see Paul giving Timothy and Titus are the same exhortations that each of us as pastors need. So this is why, one, we need a plurality of elders around us. And what do you call them, elders or pastors? Whatever you call them is not the issue. The, the primary thing is, do they have the kind of character that's spoken of in First Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1? And then 
Second, are they uh, are they seeking to shepherd others around them? And if they're shepherding the flock, part of that flock is the the one that's standing uh, in the pulpit and preaching all the time. And so, in our context, uh, we really try to work on. Uh, on sharpening each other. We we just had our elders, our monthly elders meeting Sunday, and we're going through Paul Tripp's book, Lead, which is just fabulous because it is so introspective in a good way. And we were talking about um, achievement and ambition, for, and, and we probably spent 30 minutes discussing it because we saw it's that important that we have good ambitions. There, there's nothing wrong with it, but we're sharpening each other and we're exhorting each other. We, we've got to have it because we are weak men and we need the strong Savior. And being reminded of that by our fellow pastors is a great encouragement for us. And like you, I've over the years, I've watched so many guys that have um, either dropped out of ministry or they become discouraged, they become burned out, or there have been some kind of sin issues involved, and they haven't had brothers around them saying, brother, let's keep fighting this. Or, brother, uh, you know, we recognize you are, you're on the edge of, of burning out. We're going to handle things. You go take a month off. We're going to pay you a salary. I mean, church elders ought to do that for their pastors, because there are guys on the edge right now that will be listening to your podcast that are just hoping, wishing, praying that their elders would come to them. And I, I remember one occasion a number of years ago in an elders meeting, and I, I'd had a really super busy summer, and someone invited me to, uh, and, I, and I had a busy fall ahead, and someone invited me to to come to their church and do a missions conference, which I, I love doing that kind of thing. And, and I presented to the elders and they said, no, we don't think you need to do that. And it wasn't because they didn't love missions because they do. But one, one of the elders said, pastor, we want to protect you from you. Mm. And that, that was one of the most loving things anyone has ever said to me in ministry. And I received it from him and said, okay, I'm not going to go. And, and it turned out that I really needed the time that I would have been gone doing that. I really needed that time for other things that were, that were going to be more important in, in my life than me going off and speaking and wearing myself out. You know, I recently had a conversation with um, a pastor and a lay leader, uh, the key lay leader within his church, about a sabbatical. And this pastor, I know well, he had been faithfully serving the same congregation um, as pastor for 15 years, and um, you know, and, and again, the church loves him, supports him. It's been a very sweet ministry there. But the church had never granted a sabbatical. That wasn't a concept they were familiar with. But um, praise, right. praise God, just some engaged lay people just said, "Look, we should consider this." And not that their pastor was on the verge of burnout or you know a personal crisis, but they just had enough awareness to know you know we need to grant this, and was able to work with the pastor and, and the um, the leadership yeah. team there to. Um, to bring that about. And I just found it so rewarding to be able to, in my own little way, help, but also to see, again, this is how the body of Christ like actually works in a healthy way. They're seeking intentionally to love their pastor, to create margin for him, and to 
to not just you know begrudgingly give him a few weeks off, but but no, to eagerly give him a number of weeks off, about two months, and financially bless him such that like they actually can go do something, <laughs> you know, you know, that they yes, can, they can afford exactly. to leave town and go do something, and so it, it was exactly. sweet sweet to see exactly. It's one of the best investments that a church can make in their pastor. They do not realize how it will add longevity to his ministry and it will strengthen and build his ministry up. You know, it's it's such a good encouragement. So it seems like the Lord's kind of taking our conversation in the direction of, you know, the spiritual life, uh, the pastor's guarding of heart and time and so forth. And so let me tee you up this way. You are, I believe, about to turn 67, if I heard that's, you right a moment ago. That's right. And, uh, and so, you know, on one hand, we know the Bible cautions us about our own confidence and our own ability to know our own hearts. Yeah. At the same time, we are to be about the business of monitoring our hearts and, and, and reflecting on our hearts. And by our hearts, I mean our spiritual state. And so I guess, tell us what you've seen or experienced over the years, maybe that are leading indicators of some coldness or some, uh, uh, some, some you know, maybe not burnout, but okay, I'm heading down a trajectory that, that really needs to be, that needs to be uh, refocused and redirected. So, so maybe tell us a little bit about what you've learned over the years in that regard. Yeah, I think if I sense that I'm starting to get really impatient with people around us, you know, especially my wife or when we had kids around my, my children or, um, my fellow pastors, uh, or, uh, getting to where I'm, I'm angry because of some little things somebody says, or, uh, I'm, uh, I don't have time to listen to someone. Then I know that uh, that's a red flag being, uh, being raised and that's flares going off that buddy, you better stop because you're, you're getting to the point to where you're centering life on yourself and you think you are the center of attention. And if you do that, you've got a different God. And, and so, you know, I just try to talk pretty strong to myself and I, I have taken Lloyd Jones advice from time to time and look myself in the mirror and give myself a really good talk. But when I, if, if I sense that my, prayer life is flagging or I, uh, I, I just sense coldness in my joy. You know, to, to me, joy in the Lord is one of the great markers of, uh, of vibrancy in our spiritual life and, and that joy of wanting to gather with the body in corporate worship and, and that joy of wanting to meet with the Lord. And if I sense there's any coldness at that point, I mean, I, I consider that to be a huge danger. Uh, sign of my life. And, um, you know, the, the only way for me to deal with those kind of things is to go before the Lord and just wait before him quietly and patiently, uh, letting the word bathe over me and letting the Holy Spirit expose sin in my life so that I might confess and repent of that sin and pleading with the Lord to restore my joy. Um, you know, one, one of the things to, to me that it has been the most sustaining aspect of, of my Christian life and my ministry is time alone with the Lord every day. And I'm, I make that such a priority. Uh, other things can go. I've got to get along with God. I've got to seek him. I've got to be praying. I've got to be meditating on the word. And, and my aim, especially as I've gotten older and, you know, I'm not driving kids to school and all that, I, I've got a little bit more margin in my life, 
I'm, I'm trying to be unhurried in that area, in that area. And I, I think when we are in, in the, the hurry of life, we tend to find ourselves getting into some bad patterns. And that's, that's why we need a, uh, a Sabbath to slow us down, to stop and reflect. That's why we, as pastors, we need a day off so that we stop. That's why, why it's really good that we will, every few years, have a sabbatical so we can just really stop and reflect. And I know um, a few years ago, it, actually the same year I got diagnosed with, with cancer, uh, my wife and I were on sabbatical in, um, in Edinburgh, Scotland in, in January. Uh, and and it, it was chilly and all that, but I had such a marvelous time. Mm. I just... I just lingered before the throne and then I'm going to go. I was uh, a dude. I had a little cubby hole set up at Edinburgh Theological Seminary there. And uh, I'm going to go and work on a project that I was um, that, that, that I had on my heart. And as it turned out, I've not written anything on this particular thing. I was working on, on hope in Christ and how hope must be the sustaining element in our life that God's given us. And, and so I'm, I'm just dripping with this sense of hope in January. And then July the 2nd, I get told that I've got a, a deadly cancer. And my uh, associate pastor, uh, or who, uh, he's my co-pastor now, uh, Matt Sliger at the time, said, maybe this is why God has laid this message of hope on your heart and you've been studying it so much. And, you know, I, I think the Lord will put us in positions, whether it's preparing a sermon or whether it's counseling someone or whether it's reading, to stir our hearts to prepare us so that we don't find ourselves uh, cold-hearted and, and drooping. And that's where we just need to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. We don't know what the Lord is going to do with what he's working in us in a sermon. And, you know, maybe we go preach a 40-minute sermon, but there may be years of uh, ministry to our own heart that's found in that one sermon that we've been working on and and God just wants to burn it in our heart. So, uh, you know, for me, notice, notice the red flags, be sensitive to those. And when you see the red flag, take action. Don't, don't wait. Mm. You know, you, you got to guard your heart. Phil, well said, and uh, not just from the head, but from the heart. And I appreciate your wisdom as presented through this book, uh, 40 Questions About Pastoral Ministry, out recently with Craigo Publishing, and uh, for your faithfulness there at Southwoods as you are in the middle of your fourth decade of service there. Uh, Thank you so much, and may the Lord richly bless you and all that he's entrusted to you. Thank you. It's been a joy to be with you, and the Lord bless you. I do pray for you and Midwestern Seminary with much uh, gratitude for the work that you're doing, and I pray for you guys regularly. Thank you for being with us today and for listening to Preaching and Preachers. For more information, go to my website, jasonkallen.com. That's jasonkallen.com.